Luke chapter number 19. We're going to look this morning at the story of a rich man who got saved, a rich man by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was so interested in Jesus Christ that he climbed a tree to be able to see who this guy is. You know, there's some Zacchaeuses out there, maybe five of them for you this week, that they need help sparking that interest and finding where to get answers. Luke chapter 19, verse number 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my, give, my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's take our Bibles and turn to... Luke 19, one of the great stories of Jesus Christ and his interaction with one individual man who was so much in need of the message that Jesus Christ brings to humanity. Luke chapter number 19. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus Christ had encountered another man, another rich man. And that rich man walked away sorrowful. For he was very rich, the Bible said. And Jesus made a comment. He said, it's, it's very difficult for a rich man to get saved. Very difficult for a rich man to get saved. And, and the disciples asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, well, what's difficult, nigh on to impossible with man, is, is possible with God. In other words, rich people can get saved. It's impossible, it's hard, it's difficult for a rich man to get saved. But with God, it's possible. That, it didn't take very long. I mean, that was in chapter 18, and now the very next chapter, and we have a story of a rich man who did get saved. And so it didn't take God very long before God showed that he is quite capable of saving rich people. Since we uh, are meeting in Loudoun County, which someone told me has just made it to number one county in the entire United States in wealth and in uh, uh, per capita income and that kind of thing. 
It means we live in, in a, a county in the United States that is so prosperous and so rich. Probably be a good, probably be a good idea for us to know how rich people can get saved. And so the story of, of Zacchaeus getting saved is a great story for the people who live in northern Virginia. Because even though it's difficult for rich people to get saved for a number of reasons, it's not impossible for rich people to get saved. And here we have the story of an amazing person who got saved. Verse number 10 of our text, the very last verse of our text, Luke 19, verse 10, gives us the moral of the story. It gives us the, the point that Jesus Christ is making by giving us this story in the Word of God, Jesus said in verse number 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what it's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ came to earth to seek out lost people and to save them. That's what it's all about. Nothing supersedes that. That's the main thing. The seeking and saving of lost people. People that it's impossible for them to get saved. Rich people. People that it's very difficult for them to get saved. Rich people. Yes, rich Northern Virginian people can get saved. Because with God, nothing is impossible. So God included this story in the Word of God to emphasize that God can save anybody, even the impossible rich people of northern Virginia. Well, the story is, uh, is uh, a story set in a context. And so let me just mention uh, a couple of things about the context before we look at the story itself. It is Passover season in Israel. They are just, uh, just a, a couple of weeks out from the Passover festivities. That means Jewish people from all over are traveling to Jerusalem to be in Jerusalem for Passover. So the, the travel routes that lead to Jerusalem have a lot more foot traffic than normal. And so there are a lot of people traveling towards Jerusalem and Jesus Christ is at the end of his ministry. He is heading up to Jerusalem to die in the Passover season. And so there's a crowd of people heading. The Jordan River Valley that runs north-south on the eastern edge of Israel was a major travel route. When you look at a topographical map, see the, the mountainous terrains and see the lay of the land, you can see why it was a major travel route. So there's a lot of people traveling south down the Jordan River Valley. They're going to get to Jericho and make a hard right and travel up to Jerusalem. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level, the lowest place on the planet, making it a paradise for those who like hot weather. Herod had his winter palace there. It was the Caribbean of Israel. It was the hottest vacation spot for people that lived anywhere around the land of Israel. Jericho was named for its date palms. They say that the, that the fragrance, because of the vast number of 
of fields, of irrigated fields of, of, of date palms that were exported by Herod and the Roman Empire all over the Roman Empire. The fragrance of the date palms, it is claimed, could be smelled in Jerusalem 20 miles away. Not only 20 miles away as the crow flies, but from uh, 825 feet below sea level to 2,500 feet above sea level, that from Jericho to Jerusalem, a 3,500-foot incline in 20 miles, and up in Jerusalem, they could smell the fragrance coming up from Jericho. It was a vacation paradise. And many pil- uh, uh, people traveled south down the Jordan River Valley. And then when they got to Jericho, they headed up that incline to the city of Jerusalem. There's a crowd. There's a crowd coming to Passover. But something made that crowd even greater. And that was the fact that Jesus was ending his three and a half year ministry. And for a period of time, he's been traveling and transversing east and west all over Samaria, across the Jordan, into Perea. And now he has crossed back over the Jordan and come south to Jericho on his way. And the people are excited. Verse number 11 of our text says that as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. Now watch. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Those who had been following Jesus, listening to his teaching and preaching, they were convinced that he wasn't going to Jerusalem to die. He was going to Jerusalem to proclaim himself king and take over Israel and throw off the bondage of Rome. And they were excited. So the crowd was even bigger than a normal Passover crowd. As the entourage that was coming with Jesus... To see him inaugurated as king of Israel. Now there's a side story that is not recorded in the gospel of Luke. That happened just at this, a couple weeks ahead of this event. While Jesus was over in Perea, Martha and Mary sent word to him and said, Lazarus, your friend is dying. Jesus, a few weeks ago, had crossed over the Jordan, come down to Jericho, went up the incline, and right before you get to Jerusalem, you get to the city of Bethany. It's right on the east side of the Mount of Olives. You go past Bethany, crest the Mount of Olives, and the city of Jerusalem, with its magnificent temple and temple platform that Herod had built, was right there, gleaming In the sunlight in front of you. And Lazarus was dying. So Jesus, four days after he died, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Lazarus has been in a tomb for four days. He stinks. And Jesus said, push the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. And dead Lazarus hopped out. And they unwrapped the linen that were Binding up his corpse, his his dead body. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. 
Well, can you imagine if you heard that a couple miles from here, a religious leader raised a dead man who was already stinking with decomposition and Jesus restored his life, raised him from the dead. That message spread like wildfire. Everyone wanted to see Lazarus. Can you imagine? People say, are you Lazarus? Are, who's, are you Lazarus? Whoa, you were dead. Whoa, everyone wanted to see Lazarus. John's gospel that records the story said people were flocking to see Lazarus. So much so that the religious leaders said, we've got to stop this Jesus. And from that day, they plotted how they were going to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Because so many people were coming to Bethany to see Lazarus raised from the dead. All of this is happening now. It's Passover. Jesus is coming to be inaugurated king, they believe. They've heard this amazing story about a, a corpse that's been raised from the dead. They want to touch him. They want to see him. And so the crowds are building and they're coming down the Jordan Valley and they're coming up to Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ comes through the old city and two blind men. We saw it in the last message. He gave sight to two blind men. And then he, then he left them and, and, he, and he went into the new city of Jericho. And as he went through the new city of Jericho, he met a man. A man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now you've got to understand a little bit more about Zacchaeus than just he was a rich man that lived in Jericho. The name Zacchaeus meant pure, innocent. Stop and think about his dad and his mom when he was born. Why did you choose the names you chose for your kids? Did you choose the names for your kids because of a spiritual heart and passion for the future of that child's character and purpose in life? Were you thinking about that child and praying, God, what's, what are you going to use my baby for? What is my dream in the life of my baby? Or did you Google the most popular boy and girl names in America today? You know, people choose names for different reasons. Maybe it was a famous sports figure that you were really taken up with or an entertainer. Or... But back in Bible times, it was... It, it was... A spiritual thing to name a child. I love some of the names in the Bible and the story behind the name. I, I love Abraham and Sarah naming Isaac. They, they, they named him Laughter. Because it's a... You, you tell a hundred-year-old guy and a hundred-year-old girl that they're going to have a baby in a natural way. That's a joke. They, la they named him Laughter because they laughed at the thought of having a baby at 100 years of age. I, I love the names that people gave, significant names, meaningful names, names that spoke of what God was doing in their family and what they believed the future would be for their child. Zacchaeus' dad and mom had some great dreams for Zacchaeus. They named him Innocent. Pure. They had some dreams of what he would grow up and become. What kind of character and man would he be? A man of innocence. A man of purity. They named him 
Zacchaeus with a passion and a desire and a burden. Their hopes and their dreams wrapped up in what his future would be like. Ah, but verse number one tells us, verse number two tells us there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans. Betraying his name and his upbringing, Zacchaeus grew up anything but pure and innocent. He rejected the convictions of his parents and he set his sights on money. He wanted it all. He wanted a six-figure income. He wanted to have what everybody else has. He set his heights on success monetarily. And the most lucrative profession that a young man in Israel could have in his day was to become a publican, to purchase a tax franchise from the Roman government and on behalf of Rome to collect the taxes all from the Jewish people in Israel. And he chose to enter the most lucrative profession possible, even though that means he had to turn his back on his patriotism to Israel and go to work for the enemy of Rome and fleece the people of Israel. Tax collectors, if they got notoriety, if they, if they worked their way up the ladder, they would also, they would all uh, often have a, 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 a group of thugs that went with them to beat up on the people and make sure they paid their taxes. Taxation was an art in the Roman Empire. You taxed the cart, then you taxed the number of wheels on the cart, then you taxed the animal that pulled the cart, then you taxed the stuff that was in the cart. Then you tax the owner of the cart for the privilege of living in a Roman-occupied territory. I mean, the IRS could learn something about taxation if they studied Rome. But let's hope they don't. We don't want them to learn any more about taxation. Zacchaeus became a tax collector. It was a good deal. It was a good gig. He, he had to exact a certain amount of money and send it back to Rome. And anything he could tax, anything his wild imagination could, could dream up to tax somebody for something else, he could keep as his own profit. And Zacchaeus fleeced his neighbors. He fleeced his relatives. He fleeced the people of Israel. He was a traitor. He was, he was as a publican, you were not allowed in the temple or in a synagogue. You were not allowed to vote on any matter. You were an outcast. You were an off-scour to the culture and society of Israel. No one wanted to be your friend unless they also were a thief involved in the same illicit occupation that you were in. He had sold his soul for money. And he hit it big time. The Bible says he... He went up and up and up in his profession until he became the chief of the publicans in Jericho. Jericho was one of the three tax collection centers in Israel. And for good reason, Jericho was right there on that major north-south connecting to the east-west travel route. And so it was an ideal spot to fleece the people of Israel of everything you could get out of them. And he climbed the corporate ladder till he was the chief of all of the tax collectors in Jericho. 
He no longer had to go door to door. He no longer had to sit at a booth and tax people as they came down the road. He was the one that at the peak of the pyramid, not at the bottom of the pyramid. He was the one that was the chief of all of the dirty work of all of the publicans in Jericho. And he got a cut of everything they made. And the Bible says in verse 2, he became very rich. He was a rich man because of the illicit affair that he was involved in. Can you imagine his dad and his mom? Their hopes were unfulfilled. Their dreams were shattered. That baby boy, they wanted to be one who would grow up with character, innocence, and purity, and serve their Jehovah God grew up and sold his soul for money and became a rich, wicked man in the vacation capital of Israel in Jericho. And as such, he qualified for Jesus' attention. I like that. Jesus gave his attention to one solitary man who was probably the most despised man in the eyes of the Jewish people that lived in Jericho. He was the most despised of anyone in town. He was the chief of all of the thieves and thugs that rip us off for our enemy Rome who we hate. And he is wealthy on our backs. And I don't like him. And Jesus said, but I love him. I love the fact that Jesus Christ is interested in individuals. Any individual. Even a rich Northern Virginian. Now, parents and grandparents... You have a wayward child that when you birthed them, you gave them to the Lord. You had dreams and aspirations, plans, and they grew up, broke your heart, and they sold their soul for something else. Don't give, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Can you imagine the day that Zacchaeus' mom and dad and his grandma and grandpa found out that Zacchaeus got saved and God changed his life? There's hope. And you can have hope that even that wayward child is loved by God and is reachable with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with you and me? Well, can you look in the mirror and see yourself in Zacchaeus? Can you look at this, at this story of Zacchaeus and realize that you may, you may not be far off from that? People in northern Virginia sell their souls for money every day. They sell their convictions. They sell their innocence and purity to get along and to go along with the culture in which they live. We may not be too awful far off from Zacchaeus. Look at Zacchaeus and think about your life this morning. 
Now, that's, that's just a little bit of background. Let me just quickly now jump through the three insights into this amazing story. I want you to see the curiosity that leads you to Jesus Christ. The curiosity that leads you. Verse number three says he sought to see Jesus who he was. Now, the phrase sought to see Jesus is in a grammatical uh, part of speech, which, which means that it's a continual action in the past time. In other words, in the past, continually leading up to this moment, he has been seeking Jesus. He has sought Jesus. In other words, there has been something happening in his life that maybe even the people around him didn't even know about. When he pillowed his head at night, something was going on in his heart and soul. God was at work in his life. He didn't just wake up that morning and say, hey, I think I'm going to see Jesus. He had been. He had sought Jesus for a period of time. What was it that caused Zacchaeus? To be seeking Jesus. The verse says he sought to see Jesus. Who he was. Who is this Jesus? What had been happening in his life. The Bible doesn't tell us. Which opens up the imagination. I wonder what it could have been. What could have been happening in Jericho? What could have been happening in that part of the world? What could have been happening in Zacchaeus' life? That had put him in a position where during the recent history, he has been wanting to know about Jesus. He's been wanting to know about Jesus. He's been wanting to know about Jesus. And then when he came to town, he climbs a tree to catch a glimpse of him. What had been going on? Well, we don't know what it had what was going on. Could it have been John the Baptist preaching? John the Baptist is now, he's, he's been executed, he's gone. But John the Baptist had done a lot of preaching in Jericho, up and down the Jordan River Valley and just beyond the Jordan Valley to the east. John the Baptist, this was his stopping grounds. Had Zacchaeus been in some of those meetings? Had he heard John the Baptist preaching? Had there been something rattling in his soul coming from John the Baptist preaching? We don't know. Was it the excitement of the crowd of people, the rumors that were spreading about a king and a kingdom, a Messiah, the answer to all of the Old Testament promises? We don't know. Was it, was it, uh, was it, was it Lazarus who just a couple of weeks ago, Lazarus, this, this Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead a couple of weeks ago. Was it Bartimaeus, who just earlier that day, just outside of the new city, between the new city and the old city, that Bartimaeus and his, and his sidekick had just been healed of their blindness, and they're right there with Jesus, because the Bible says they went along with Jesus, and, and, and Zacchaeus knows them. He has walked by those blind men countless times on the road between the old and new cities of Jericho. All of a sudden, these guys that he's known all that time, who, as blind men, all of a sudden they can see? Does, does Jesus earlier today heal these blind men? We don't know. We don't know what it was that sparked the interest in Zacchaeus' life. The curiosity that leads a person to want to know more about Jesus Christ. What made you curious? Was it your dad and mom's life that they lived in front of you seven days a week? That you knew it was the real deal and not a religion they put on on Sunday, but it was real. It changed my mom and dad, made them new people, and they lived, they lived Monday through Saturday, just what the preacher preached on Sunday. 
This is not hypocrisy. This is the real deal that my mom and dad really live Christianity. Is that what is that what got your curiosity? Was it your parents teaching around the dinner table when they would open the Bible as a family and read the word of God and they show you the stories of Jesus? Was it your dad and mom's teaching you the Bible? Is that what sparked your curiosity to lead you to Jesus Christ? Was it a friend at work who gave you a gospel track and told you about what Jesus did in their life? Is that what sparked your curiosity? Was it something you heard when someone invited you to church and you heard something you'd never heard before and it made you stop and think and you went away thinking, I need to know more about this Jesus? What sparked your curiosity that made you curious about who is this Jesus? Let me encourage you, there's people out there whose curiosity can be sparked if you will just Introduce them to Jesus Christ. There are people whose curiosity would be sparked if you would just say, hey, we've been, uh, we've been promoting a website. It's called truelife.org. It's from our church. This is Christmas. And, and this website's got some amazing videos that tell the answers to questions a lot of people your age are asking but don't know where to turn for an answer. And let me just give that to you. And maybe, maybe when you get home, you could look up that website and... Maybe you'll find some answers to questions that, uh, you know, that's easy to do. That's easy to do. You know, there's people around us whose curiosity could be sparked if we would just be the instrument the Holy Spirit wants to use to encourage that curiosity to be sparked. The curiosity that leads you to consider Jesus Christ. In verse number three, at the end of the verse, the Bible says that, that Zacchaeus he wanted, he wanted to see Jesus, but he could not for the press, press because he was uh, little of stature. He had two problems. There was a big crowd of people. And I'm a short guy. With all the crowd of people there. There's no way. I can't see him. Everyone says he's on his way to Jerusalem. I know the road to Jerusalem. That means he's going to go up here to the... What was it? What did uh, uh, Rand Humble say? You go up to the uh, Dunkin' Donuts and turn right, and you go down to the next Dunkin' Donuts and turn left. And, and, and Zacchaeus knew where Jesus was going to go since he was going to Jerusalem. So Zacchaeus ran around. And he, this is a mature man in an Oriental culture who is very wealthy. This is not cool. You don't run. In that culture, a wealthy man in an Oriental culture, did not run. You surely wouldn't climb a tree in front of everybody. And Zacchaeus put away pride. He abandoned any self-consciousness. He is so not thinking about himself. He doesn't care what you think of him. He doesn't care what your attitude toward him is. He puts away and abandons all of his self-consciousness and he runs to get ahead of the crowd on the pathway Jesus is traveling. And he finds this tree and he climbs up into this tree. This type of tree had, had very large branches that branched out quickly and it created the perfect climbing tree for any kid and great places to sit 
on a horizontal limb and watch everything that's happening from the vantage point of being up in the tree. He runs ahead. He finds this tree like a little kid. He clambers up this tree, gets himself perched. I still remember the evangelist preaching when I was a kid at Camp Pamadiva, preaching on Zacchaeus. And they had a speaker stand, a, a, a raised platform that a speaker was standing on. I can still remember the evangelist running over there and climbing up the wall and jumping up on that speaker stand and preaching the rest of the sermon from up in the tree. Zacchaeus could care less what you thought of him. He wanted to see Jesus. Who he is. Who is this Jesus? And so he abandoned everything. Ran like a little child and climbed a tree because he must see Jesus. I want you to notice a second insight. The decision that saves you. The decision that saves you. This is powerful. What was it that changed Zacchaeus' life? Verse number 5 tells us that Jesus came to the place, looked up, saw him, looked, said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. The end of the verse says, for today I must abide at thy house. I'm coming to you. To your house. And he made haste, came down, and notice he received him joyfully. This wasn't a request. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, would it be all right if I come to your house? He surely didn't say, would you run home real quick and check with your wife? Find out if it's okay to have a guest tonight stay over. By the way, Jesus could do this. I wouldn't recommend you doing this in, in evangelism. He looked at Zacchaeus and said, it was a command. He said, come here. I'm going to your house. I have an appointment with you. I want to talk to you. And so Zacchaeus received him joyfully. That's a powerful statement to receive him joyfully. The terminology, the language, the words that are used indicates that it was not just for a pit stop. It wasn't just for a quick meal. One of the words that's used in verse number in verse number uh, five, uh, had to do with, um, I think it's the word abide, in its root meaning means to loosen, loosen your clothes. You know, take, take, take off your jacket, loosen up your clothes, hang out for a while. Make yourself at home. Spend the evening with us. And Jesus went to his home, and Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Did he just receive him into his home? Well, you know, once he got into his home, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what they talked about. We don't have a plan of salvation discussed. We don't have any doctrine being discussed. All we know is when he came out of the home, in verse number 10, Jesus Christ said, verse number 9, at the end of the verse, Jesus Christ said, He also is a son of Abraham. You know what that means, don't you? Abraham is the classic Old Testament illustration of salvation by faith, distinct from salvation by religion, ceremony, or works, which the Pharisees taught was the way of salvation. Abraham was used, used in Romans, Galatians, quoting Genesis 15, where the Bible says, that the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It's salvation by faith. 
It's taking Jesus Christ into my life and receiving Him by faith. Believing that He took my place on Calvary. He took my sins upon His back. He suffered what I should suffer for all of hell, for all of eternity. He suffered all of that for me. And I reach out by faith and I believe that. And trust Him to wash my sins away as a result of His vicarious death on Calvary. And so imputed to my life is the righteousness that I could never attain. The righteousness that I could never live out. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. Sinless, spotless, Son of God. His righteousness put in my bank account. My debt of sin put into His bank account. He took my place. I took His place. I'm saved by faith. That's what Jesus said when He introduced Zacchaeus coming out of the house. As a man who's been transformed by his faith in God. The decision that saved him. What what caused that? What is the cause? Well, verse number 5 tells us that when he was up in the tree, Jesus looked up, saw him, and said, come down. That's amazing. The look. Oh, to have been there. To have looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ and see Someone who really cared. Called him by name. It's kind of nice for people to remember your name. Call you by name. Zacchaeus, we've never met, but I know who you are. You're important to me. I know who you are. I know your name, Zacchaeus. And then the instruction. He called him. Come down. I'm going to your house. You talk about the personal touch of Jesus Christ. This is what caused the decision. It was the the care. It was the interest. It was the want in the heart of Jesus Christ that melted the stone-cold heart of this hard-hearted religious Pharisee uh, or or publican. And and when when he was around the Pharisees that preached to him salvation by good works and salvation by religion, neither of which he had any claim to because he was a despised publican. And the cold, hard Phariseeism that didn't care about him. But now he meets someone who cares, who knows him by name, who wants him. The cause. Oh, listen, we must be careful that our conservatism does not translate into disdain or disinterest in the souls of people who don't measure up to our conservative expectations. Jesus loves every individual. And we need to have a look in our eye that they see is a look of compassion. And they need to see that we know something about them and we're interested in them. And they need to hear us call and invite them to come. We want you. We want you. Compassion, interest, and want. His heart was stirred. And the result was, verse 9 tells us that salvation had come into his house. Jesus said, this day is salvation come to this house. That's profound. The whole home was changed. Drastically changed. There's a before and an after With regards to Jesus. There was what the house was like before. 
and what the house was like after. When did, when did salvation come to your house? At Thanksgiving this week, we were up in Pennsylvania. We were sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and we all started talking about where Christ entered the family. And each one, we traced back our spiritual heritage. We traced through our grandkids, through our daughter, through Betty, to her dad, to her granddad and grandma. And we traced the spiritual lineage of where salvation came. And, and then we traced it through me, through my grandkids, to me, uh, up through my mom and my dad. And we traced the spiritual heritage. We took the spiritual heritage of Greg and Greg shared with his kids and told of the spiritual heritage of where salvation came to the Shipe household and traced it back uh, to his mom and dad and to a brother that died in the Vietnam War as a soldier who'd gotten saved and, and, and shipped right off to war and died, never came back. And, they, and we traced the spiritual Where did salvation come to your home and do your kids and grandkids know about it? Salvation has come to this house today. Jesus said of Zacchaeus. Profound result. And then let me close by the conviction that changed Zacchaeus. You see, there's a, there's a break in the story that is not readily seen. And verse number 6 ends with Jesus coming down and Zacchaeus taking him home and joyfully taking him into his home. And then we see a crowd of people murmur murmuring in verse 7. And, and the crowd of people are murmuring about the fact that Jesus would go into Zacchaeus' house. They murmured that he went to be a guest of a man that is a sinner. And it would seem, in the little sketchy details we have of the account in Luke 19, it would seem that Jesus Christ had gone with Zacchaeus into the home. This salvation came to their house that day, and wouldn't we love to have been a fly on the wall and heard all the conversation, but we don't. And, uh, and, and, and all of that time that all of that was happening into the evening hours, maybe even overnight, the people of the town that saw it, the crowd that saw it, said, I thought he was a religious man, this Jesus. This, this Jesus went into the home of a sinner to be a guest. I thought this Jesus was a good man. And they were murmuring. And then next thing we know... Jesus and Zacchaeus come back out into the crowd, maybe later on that evening, maybe the next morning. We don't know how long he had stayed in Zacchaeus' house. But when they came out, this murmuring, this, these, these looks, these, this disdain, and all of that. And then all of a sudden, Zacchaeus picked up on it. Zacchaeus knew that who he was was reflecting on people's attitudes of who Jesus is. All of a sudden, he realized that my lifestyle is a reflection of what people see as Jesus. That they're all of a sudden thinking something bad about Jesus because of who I am. And Zacchaeus stood. The word means to stand forth. It doesn't mean just to be sitting and stand up. It means he stood forth to those people. And he made an announcement this rich thief said, I'm going to take half of everything I have and give it to the poor. You talk about a changed life. And then he said, 
If I have, and that's a first class conditional phrase, it means since, it, it, it doesn't call into question of maybe he had stolen, maybe he hadn't stolen, he was the chief of the publicans, he had ripped a lot of people off as they passed through Jericho. It's not, well maybe I did, maybe I didn't, it's a confession. I have stolen. And since I've stolen, I'm going to give back fourfold. Where did that come from? Well, the Old Testament said, if you've taken something and you still have it and you're caught, you give it back and add a fifth part, 20% as a fine for what you did wrong. And then there are other situations where in the Old Testament, the Bible says, if you take something or cause damage to someone, you give back double what was damaged or lost. And then there were extreme situations in the Old Testament, which says that in this scenario, you give back four times what the value of the property was that was lost or stolen. In other words, Zacchaeus knew his Bible. That goes back to dad and mom that named him pure, innocent, who taught him the word of God in their home. He knew his Bible. He knew what the Bible said. And Zacchaeus didn't kind of try to get away with just the, I'll give him the money back and add 20%. He didn't even say, you know, I'm going to go a little bit beyond that. I'm going to give you double. He went to the full extent. He said, I'm going to give you back four times what I stole from you. This man's life is drastically changed. And you know what the conviction was that changed him? The conviction that changed him was when he realized that his lifestyle reflected on what people thought about Jesus. Do you know, if you claim to be a Christian, who you are is interpreted by the people who know you as who Jesus is. And the conviction that settled into his heart when he knew that he was a testimony of the character of Jesus Christ. He said, I will make this right because he's changed my life. Salvation has come and he has saved me from all of my sin and transformed me from a wealthy crook to a guy that's willing to give away anything I have to make it right between me and my fellow man. Because is it important to me to be right between me and my God? Oh, curiosity led him. A decision changed him. A decision saved him. And a conviction changed him into a man that he wasn't before.